Wes Bowles, good morning. Hey, uh, does everybody know what a man card is? It's kind of an unspoken code between men that uh, just says you're a man. Well, I may have to turn in my man card this morning after I tell you what I'm about to tell you. I want you to think back to the most intense, suspenseful, exciting, maybe scary movies that you've seen. Okay, now there are two kinds of movie watchers. There are the brave movie watcher, and then there's the blanky movie watcher, okay? And the brave movie watcher, they're the type that they can sit through any scene and they can put their arm around you and comfort you and say, it's going to be fine. Okay, and then there's the blanky movie watcher. And the blanky movie watcher actually does not see the movie because they're under a blankie scared the entire time. <laughs> now, how many of you would say you are the brave movie watcher? Okay, we have a lot of sissies in here. How many of you are the blanky movie watcher? <laughs> All right, well, stereotypically, this is just the stereotype. The stereotype is the man should be brave and he should, he should be the brave movie watcher. And the woman can be the blanky movie watcher and she's scared and the man can put his arm around her. Well, in our house, that's not true. It's flip-flopped, okay? <laughs> Kara is the brave movie watcher and I am the blanky movie watcher. And when things get intense, I go, oh, hold me, Kara. <laughs> All right? And that's just during the Tinkerbell movie, okay? Which, by the way, if you have not seen that movie, do not judge me because it is intense, all right? <laughs> You're trying to save spring, and it's a big deal, and I want you to think about what it would be like if spring wasn't saved, okay? It's frightening. <laughs> Anyhow, just go watch it. You'll know, all right? Anyhow, it's, it's one thing to watch a movie and be the blanky movie watcher or the brave movie watcher. Because, see, the second time around, a blanky movie watcher can actually become a brave movie watcher. And you know why? Because they know what happens. And they know how it's going to end up. But there's a difference between watching a movie and walking through a movie. And the truth is, every single person in here is walking through a movie right now. You're walking through a story. And at times it's intense, and at times it's full of suspense or drama. Sometimes it's scary, sometimes it's exciting. But a lot of us, I think it's very easy to walk through that movie under a blankie and scared and full of fear. And in the story we're going to look at this morning, we'll see Joseph walk through his story. And I think he knew a few things, but I think he also learned a few things that allowed him to walk through that story as a brave movie walker as he went through it. And so this morning, we're going to look at that. Last week, as Thomas mentioned, well, we've gotten this series going here at the church, The Story. And last week, he talked about Abraham. And he covered it all in about 35 minutes. And this morning, if you've got the story book that the church handed out, you can just open to the end of chapter 2. And this is going to bug some of you who really like details and like to know everything. Just turn the page. All right? I know that's hard for some of you. But just turn the page. I know there are a lot of details in between. But there's a link on our website. It says Digging Deeper, where you can go and... You can dig deeper, and you can get all the details in between Abraham and now his great-grandson, Joseph. But when we meet Joseph, he is a 17-year-old young man, and he is a, he's attending this flock, and we find out he's one of daddy's favorites. In fact, he's daddy's favorite son. And because he's daddy's favorite, that means he's not his brother's favorite. And to make things worse, one night Joseph has a couple dreams. And he realizes that God has given him these dreams and he, he sees in them the symbolism 
that one day his brothers are going to bow down to him. And like most 17-year-old young men we know, he just in humility kept it to himself <laughs> and did not say a word to anybody. Except not at all, right? He went to him and he's like, get ready because you're going to bow down to me. Well, what did this do to them? Made them upset. Made them really mad. In fact, they formed a plan and they said, let's kill him. And one brother, the voice of reason, he stood up and he said, well, maybe that's a little too much, but we could throw him in a pit. So their plan was, we'll throw him in a pit. And then when the time came, he walked up, they attacked him, threw him in a pit. And then they thought, well, life's kind of nice without Joseph, so we're going to sell him. And they see these merchants coming by and they say, you guys want to buy Joseph? And they sell him for eight pieces of silver. Wow. And in their travels, they go through, through uh, Egypt and they end up selling Joseph again to the house of a man named Potiphar, where Joseph would serve for a long, long time. And while he was there, Potiphar's wife noticed Joseph and she said, wow, he's handsome. And she said, Joseph, come to bed with me. And he said, my master trusts me. I can't do that. And this made her so mad that she said, you know what? She made up a lie. She said, Joseph threw himself at me. And as a result, he gets locked up in prison. So here's Joseph. He's been plotted against, attacked, betrayed, sold, sold again, lied about, and locked up. You ever had a bad day? <laughs> I mean, one of those days where when one thing goes wrong, it's okay. But when a lot of stuff goes wrong, you sleep through the alarm, you're late for work, you get in a fender bender on the way, you forgot your lunch, you get home, and there are just bills upon bills and thousands of dollars of bills in the mail. And then you find out that that Nigerian prince that promised if you just sold him your bank account, you sent him his, your bank account number, that he'd share his inheritance with you, he lied. <laughs> Welcome to Joseph's life. See, this, is, this didn't just happen in one day. This happened over 13 years. 13 years of that. And you know what we would think over 13 years of seeing one thing after another after another? We'd think somebody's out to get us. Or we would maybe think if you believe in God, God, where are you? Do you not see what's going on here? And yet, when you look at the story of Joseph, if you have the story book, you can turn to page 31. And this is near the top. Look at what it tells us partway through all that he's going through. It says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he, pro he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So let me get this straight. Joseph has been plotted against, attacked, betrayed, sold and sold again, and the Lord was with him. Well, that doesn't quite line up with our thinking. And then... She lies and he gets locked up in prison. Turn the page to page 32, halfway down the page. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. A few sentences later, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph. What? See, you know what this tells us? Is that the circumstances we see around us, those don't indicate that God has withdrawn from you. It actually means that in the middle of all that, the Lord is with you. He's with you whatever you're going through. Well, that's weird, okay? But think about this. 
If you have an emergency in your life and you call 911, do you question whether someone on the other end is going to pick up? No, because it's in their nature to help and to be there and to always be on duty. If your child goes to school and they're having a bad day and it goes from bad to worse, would you want them to question whether you love them and you're with them? No, because that's not true. So why then would we think this about our Heavenly Father? That when things are falling apart, why would we think he's no longer on duty? Or that he's no longer with us? The truth is, he is with us. And you could say, well, yeah, but that was Joseph, Nathan. It says, the Lord was with Joseph, and you'd be right. But think about this. The one God sent knew exactly what Joseph had gone through. Remember, God sent one to us who had been plotted against, attacked, betrayed, sold, lied about, and locked up to a cross. God sent Jesus. And what's that name for Jesus that you hear, especially around Christmas time? Emmanuel. God with us. See, he's with you no matter what you're going through. Now, if we just knew that, guess what? We could pray right now and we could all get out of here. But we don't know that. I mean, on one hand, we know that. And we can keep that in our brain. But on the other hand, you know what we do? We forget that. And we live in such a way that we've forgotten that the God of the universe is with us. And it can, it can come out in such subtle ways like we see with what Joseph does next. See, what Joseph does next, he's in prison now. And he ends up there with two members of Pharaoh's royal court. Okay, this is a baker and a cupbearer. And these are important guys to Pharaoh because in those times, if you wanted to get rid of a king, what was one way you could do it? You could poison them. Yeah, you could go through their food. Or you could go through their drink. Well, we don't know what these guys did, but they did something to anger Pharaoh. And so Joseph is here in prison with these two guys, and we find out that they're troubled. One morning, they're really troubled, and he says, hey, what's wrong? And they said, well, we had these dreams. We had these dreams, and we can't figure out what they mean. And he says, well, the Lord, he can interpret dreams. All interpretations belong to God. And so tell me your dreams. And so they tell him their dreams, and, and they get done. And he says, okay, well, here's what they mean. For the baker, you're going to die in a few days. And the baker was so happy that they asked for the interpretation. <laughs> but for the cupbearer, you, within a few days, are going to be restored to your position in Pharaoh's royal court. And then look at what he does next. This isn't in the story, but this is in Genesis chapter 40. It says, he says that when you get out and when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Do you see the irony here? Here's Joseph who's experienced the Lord is with him. And here's Joseph who's told some other guys the Lord can take care of and work out and interpret your dreams. But when it comes to my circumstances, what's Joseph doing? Not the Lord, but I got to get me out of here. Put in a good word for me. See, he's hoping in something outside the Lord here. He's hoping that this one man will just put in a good word for him. And we can relate. Any of us would do that. You can think back to a situation where you've been stuck and it feels like you're in prison and you think, I got to do something. I've got to make something happen here. There's a uh, show when I was younger 
And uh, I know a lot of you know this show, MacGyver. You remember MacGyver? MacGyver was awesome because he could, he could get out of anything using anything. He could pull up outside a skyscraper and know he's got to get to the top, but the doors are locked, so he'll walk back to his car. There's a paperclip, there's some floss, and soon he's using the paperclip as a carabiner and the floss as a rope, and he's up the skyscraper. Now, I don't want to burst some bubbles here, but uh, it's not real. But you know what I think we do? We look at the situation we're in, and we look around, and we think, I'm just going to MacGyver my way out of this thing. But that's not how it works. But you know why? Because even though God is with you, it is so easy to think life depends on you. Even though he's with you, it's easy to think that life depends on you. I want you to think about this. Would you walk on to a basketball court to face another team with number 23 at your side, Michael Jordan? And would you look at him and say, MJ, grab some bench, bro. I got this. You would never do that. You would not do that with Michael Jordan in his prime. You would not do that with Michael Jordan in retirement. And you'd probably not do that with elderly Michael Jordan either. You know why? Because we want the game, the basketball game, in the most capable hands, don't we? And so we know we wouldn't do that with a basketball game, but when it comes to life, isn't it interesting how we think the most capable hands are our own? I mean, we think, Lord, grab some bench because I got this. Maybe we don't, we don't blatantly say it, but we subtly do it. Well, as we walk forward through the, through the story of Joseph, you know what we're going to discover? Is that the God who's with you, not you, but the God who's with you, just how dependable he is and just how much we can trust him because he's with us. And so... How well do you think Joseph's little plan to have the cupbearer put in a good word for him went? In one verse, Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, it all comes crashing down. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. His one ray of light, his one ray of hope, done. And then it says two full years passed. Wow, so here's Joseph. 11 years went by before he was thrown into prison, and then two more. 13 years of being in situations he could do nothing, nothing, nothing about. And then one day, his cell door opened, and somebody said, he needs you. He? Yeah, Pharaoh. He needs you, Joseph. See, what had happened was Pharaoh, he had had a couple of dreams that really puzzled him. And he, he called together all kinds of people, and nobody could interpret these dreams. Nobody could figure it out. And then cupbearer remembers, oh, Joseph. Joseph can interpret dreams. And so they go get Joseph. They get him cleaned up. And look at the conversation between Pharaoh and Joseph. This is page 33 at the top. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream. And no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And then think about what Joseph says next. I cannot do it. I mean, you think that statement maybe came out of some, some difficult places deep down within Joseph? Out of maybe being in a situation for 13 years he could not do anything about, and even his attempt to try didn't really work out. And he says, I cannot do it. 
but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Not like a, he'll give Pharaoh a perfect answer, a great answer that Pharaoh wants to hear, but Pharaoh's looking for an answer, and I can't do that, but God can. And so Pharaoh shares these dreams with him. And Joseph gets done hearing them. And he says, both dreams actually mean the same thing. God has decided that there are going to be seven years of plenty. And then there are going to be seven years of famine. And Pharaoh, you would be wise. In the middle of that seven years of plenty, you'd be wise to appoint somebody to be in charge of collecting grain and storing it for the years of famine. And Pharaoh went, wow, that's so wise. Is there anyone like this man in whom is the spirit of God? And this was a big statement because in that culture, they did not believe in God. They believed in gods. And there was the God of rain and there was the God of of, um, the harvest and God of all kinds of things. But Pharaoh said, in whom is the spirit of God? He thought about it and he thought, well, there's nobody like this. So Joseph, you're the guy. You're the one. Here's my ring. Here's a robe. And now you are my right-hand man. And like that, Joseph goes from servant to shackles to second in command in Egypt. Now, if we could just pause the story right here for a minute. I think there's a really, really big thing we got to see here. Have you noticed when you see a story like this, whether you read it or you see it playing out in life, how quick we are to give man the credit and the God who's with us no credit whatsoever. It'd be really easy to look at this story and say, oh, Joseph's brothers, look what they did to him. If it wasn't for what they did to him, he wouldn't be where he is. If they hadn't forgotten him, if they hadn't backstabbed him, cupbearer, if you had just remembered him sooner, oh, and then we look at Joseph and we, we say, good for you, Joseph. You're so gifted. You're so talented. You got yourself out of there. And then we leave God out of it. Because the way we, get, we leave God out of it is in the times of difficulty. We say, God, where were you? You weren't with me. And then in the times that are going well, we say, I got me here. See, when my life's going to garbage, who do I point at? I point at you. I say, you put me here. You did this. That person did this to me. That person forgot me. But when my life's going great, who do I point at? Me. God, thanks for getting the ball rolling, but I took this to the next level. I got me here. I got us here. And Joseph would look at all that and he'd say, no, no, no. I've learned. This was not man's doing. And you know how we know that Joseph was thinking that? When you see what happens next. Because the seven years of abundance show up, and Joseph actually has a couple kids, and the time comes to name his children. Now, I want you to think about something. My wife works at at the hospital on the mom-baby floor, and she gets to be part of that moment, that incredible moment where parents name their children. Now, nurses cannot give their opinion about a name. They just have to smile and say, that is wonderful. But there have been moments where in her head she thought, what are you thinking? That child has to walk through this life with that name. And I won't say what the names are because there could be names. You could have that name and you could be sitting here right now. Just if I look at you funny afterwards, you'll know you have that name, okay? No, 
But oftentimes, sometimes parents name their kids because they like the sound of a name or it reminds them of someone. And then sometimes and oftentimes, parents name a child based on the deep thinking and processing and reflection that they've done as they've thought about their lives and the dreams they have for this child. Oftentimes, a child's name is a window into where the parents are at and what they're thinking about their own experience. You want to know what Joseph was thinking about the circumstances he was in and who he credited with where he was? All you have to do is look at what he named his children. Because his first child, he named Manasseh. And he said, this child will be named Manasseh because the Lord has made me forget my suffering. And his second child, he named Ephraim. And he said, the reason this child will be named Ephraim is because the Lord has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. See, Joseph stepped back and he looked at his life and he said, you know who gets the credit? The Lord gets the credit. In my time of need, he was with me there. Now in my time of plenty, he has put me there. And what Joseph saw was the God who is with us, he can be depended upon for our circumstances, to work with those circumstances. But that's not all. See, the seven years of plenty, they go by, and the seven years of famine show up. And we learn that all the lands around Egypt are beginning to struggle, which means the people within those lands are beginning to struggle, which means Joseph's family is beginning to struggle. And what you have is this massive convergence on Egypt. All these people are converging on Egypt to come get grain because they know that Egypt has been storing up. And so Joseph's brothers show up to Egypt to get grain. And lo and behold, who is in charge of distributing grain in Egypt? Joseph. Joseph is. I want you to look at something. This is page 34 of your book, if you have them. Just over halfway down the page. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, listen to this, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Okay, think about this, all right? Joseph had this dream when he was 17 years old. Then 11 years went by where he was either traveling with these merchants or he was, he was serving in the house of Potiphar, and then two years of prison, and then seven years of abundance, and then two, this is two years into the famine. He's now 39 years old. 22 years have gone by since he had that dream. You think a few times, and it doesn't say this, I'm probably just wondering this. You think a few times Joseph looked around at his life and he thought, so much for that dream. Way to go, God, you, you might have missed one. I don't know that that's what Joseph was thinking. I know that's probably what I'd be thinking. Is what happened? Life does not look anything like that dream I had. But the thing that Joseph couldn't have seen when he was 17 was the, the bigger implication of that dream. See, he saw his brothers bowing down to him. But right now, they were bowing down to him because it was a matter of survival. Have you ever had that? Where maybe you look around at life and it's like, I feel like God had put a dream on my heart, but life looks nothing like that right now. Have you ever had that? And yet in this moment, you know what I think Joseph discovered? 
that the God who can be depended upon for, to work out our circumstances can also work out our dreams. About a year ago, I had this, uh, this thing that was on my heart, and I thought, I wouldn't have come up with this. But um, it was on my heart, just in working with the youth here at the church, to be in prayer more together. And we'll pray at youth group, we'll pray at Sunday school, we'll pray when we go hang out and have meals together and stuff like that. But I mean, like, really pray for one another, for the world we live in, for the nation, for our community, for the schools, our church, you know, the group, one another. So I thought, what does that look like? And I felt like God said, in the morning, remember that thing years ago, Nathan? You guys had prayer breakfast, and everybody would show up before they went to school, and we would pray together. I was like, no, 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 no. I mean, I can be up at 6 a.m., but when you put teenagers plus 6 a.m. into a calculator, it's error. Does not compute. <laughs> I'm thinking, this isn't going to work. So a couple weeks ago, we announced, hey, we're going to have prayer breakfast on Thursday morning. So I show up here, 6.15, and I'm thinking, it would be awesome if one kid shows up, just one. 15 kids here to pray. And I'm thinking, Wow. Well, no, you haven't heard how I tried to screw it all up first, okay? And so at prayer breakfast, I showed up late, and um, I, I looked over, and I see this girl's eyes are, are just watery and full of tears. And I thought, wow, Lord, you are really doing something powerful. And she said, this is the spiciest burrito I've ever had in my life. <laughs> and I just thought, none of them are coming back. Way to go, God. That dream was short-lived. Thank you for answering. That's it. This last Thursday. You remember what the weather was like on Wednesday? That was wonderful, huh? All the snow. I debated canceling the night before. Woke up on Thursday morning. It's eight degrees. The roads are a sheet of ice. And these are teenagers, and it's six in the morning. I get here, 21 people are here to pray for our world, our nation, our church, our community, one another. And I just thought, man, God, you and I both know this was not my doing. I mean, I can remind them. I can remind some kids about a prayer breakfast, but when they have to get up at 5 in the morning to get ready to be somewhere by 6 or 6.15, only the Lord can do that. See, the God who works with our circumstances, he alone can also work out our dreams. But the best part for us and for Joseph was yet to come. Because now, Joseph has his brothers bowing down before him. He's seeing his dream realized. And he realizes that he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. And so it looks like he kind of plays this game of cat and mouse. If you read through Genesis, there are a few chapters of this. or a few pages of the story. You know, he finds out that one brother doesn't come with him, so he keeps one brother with him as kind of collateral, and he says, go get the other brother, bring him back, and then you can all go. So they go get the other one, they bring him back, and then while they're there, he arranges for a silver cup to be put in the bag of one of them. So it looks like they stole something. And you think, Joseph, like, is this payback? No, Joseph was trying to, to find out if given the opportunity, would they do to one of their siblings what they did to him? See, Joseph wanted to know if their hearts had changed. It actually reminds me of a conversation that I have from time to time with my sister, and it's called, Nathan, Remember When? <laughs> See, uh, not too long ago, my sister came to me. and She's like, Nathan, remember that time when you chopped up onions and you put them in my shampoo? 
And I was like, oh, yes, I do remember that. And I washed my hair that morning, and all day long, I was walking around with burning, stinging, watery eyes. And you acted like you didn't know what had happened. I was like, yeah, I remember. That was, that was so fun. <laughs> Nathan, remember that time that I came home really late at night, and you would put scary clown posters all over my ceiling and all over my walls and on the back of my door so that when I turned on the light, there were just clowns with fangs everywhere. And I thought, yeah, I got to put a reminder on my phone to do that one again. <laughs> or Nathan, remember that kid at school, Barry? And I asked you why he's so mean to everybody. And I said, well, he's just sad because nobody will call him the name he really wants to be called, Blueberry. And then I called him Blueberry and he chased me down the street. You remember that, Nathan? If you're in here, your name's Barry. I'm sorry. I will not, I won't call you that. Um, she said, do you remember that? And I said, yeah. She's like, are you ever sorry? <laughs> Never. Why? Why are you asking? <laughs> see, Joseph wanted to see if his brother's hearts had changed. And you know what he discovered? that the God who works with our circumstances, that the God who can be depended upon to work out our dreams is also the God who can be depended upon to work in hearts. Now, after seeing all that, would you still want to depend on you when you know that that's the God who's with you? See, a lot of times I think we minimize, we think God is with me, but we kind of minimize what he's really capable of. But when you see that, you're still going to choose you over him? You're still going to put him on the bench behind you? See, that would change things. And for Joseph, it caused him to say what he said next. If you look at the next, it's page 39 of the story. Joseph has seen that his brother's hearts have changed. And he says, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? And then I love this part. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Is this not the greatest sibling prank you have ever heard of? 22 years in the making and God's in on it. And then he goes on with this big picture perspective. He says, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And then look at the statement that comes next. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Do you know what Joseph, what perspective he gained? Is that he's with you, the God who's with you is also working through what you're walking through. He's with you and working through whatever you're walking through. And then later on in life, after their father has passed and he's talking to his brother, we get even more perspective as he looks back at all of this. He says, you intended it for harm, but God intended it for good, for the saving of many lives, which is now being done. And we see that he's with you and working through whatever you're walking through 
and not just for you, but for the saving of many lives. Wow, what a perspective. I mean, would that perspective change things for you? Would it maybe cause you to come out from under the blankie and walk through this story a little differently, knowing who's with you? How would that change things for you? Maybe you're here this morning and you're looking around at life's circumstances and you just think, I'm stuck. There is nothing I can do. And it's awful. And God, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you just need a reminder that he's with you. Or maybe you're looking at your circumstances and your dreams and your heart or the hearts of those around you. And there's just this man focus. You think they put me here. If they hadn't done that, I wouldn't be here. Or you're looking at yourself and you're thinking, I got me here. Or I need to make something happen. Or my dreams seem to center around me. Or I've got to change that person and change their heart. And maybe you need to be reminded that you don't have that power. There is one alone who has that power. And he's the one who works through what you walk through. Or maybe you just need the reminder that as you walk through what you're walking through, somebody is watching what you're going through. Somebody's watching. And somebody is looking at your life and they see God's working through what you're walking through. And it's going to create the saving of many lives. That's how God's going to use it. How would that look for you if you could walk through this story with that perspective? I think for all of us, it would sound like what Paul says. And a lot of you know this verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Listen to what Paul says in light of what we just walked through with Joseph. I know what it is to be in need. And Joseph would say, amen, brother. And I know what it is to have plenty. And to that, Joseph would say, amen, brother. And he goes on. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So you know what happens when you walk through what you're walking through, knowing he's with you and working through? you gain strength. You come out from underneath the blankie and you can walk through it bravely because you know who's with you. See, that's the incredible thing is as we walk through this story, the director of the movie is with you. He's saying, look, I know all this stuff's happening and it feels out here for you, but for me, it's right here. It's right here. And I know it looks like life has the freedom to do whatever it wants to you, But don't forget, I have the freedom to use it however I want to. He's with you and working through whatever you're walking through and not just for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wow, perspective. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness. And thank you for your mercy. When we walk through life and we say God is with me, but we don't live in light of knowing just who is with us. Thank you so much, Father, for your patience with us. Remind us this week and all the days of our lives that you are with us and that you alone have the power to work through our circumstances, to work out our dreams, and to work in our hearts and in the hearts of all men. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for coming this morning. We'll see you next Sunday.